0: Thank you for joining me for another Quick Hits Conversation. Today, I would like to talk about how can you catch yourself in self-delusion or put a different way. How do you know if you're lying to yourself? Stuart, kick us
1: off. Sure. Um, It depends on your level of self-awareness, to be quite candid. If you um, lack the ability to be aware of your surroundings, be able to take the cues from those around you, not just verbally but physically, then uh, you can get caught up in in self-delusion. And it really depends on how you measure success. I mean, the real measure is, if your successes start to become less and your failures become more, do you have the ability to look at that and say, there's something wrong here? And I think some people delude themselves and say, oh, it's not me, it's them.
0: Mm. Amanda, I see you nodding
2: jump in. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Stuart. I would say that it, it is very much dependent on an individual's self-awareness, and to take that a step further, just the details of that self-awareness. Um, what are your kind of the things that you, the habits you fall back on? Um, I like to call them survival mechanisms, or just the loops that you might continually find yourself to be in, and being aware of when you might actually be in that loop or being falling back on those habits. Um, that's definitely kind of an area of, if you are, if you have that high self-awareness of the things that you do on a daily basis, um, then you can often t- find yourself uh, catching yourself when you think you might be in a delusional state or lying to yourself as well. Yeah. Matt, what about you?
3: Good insights, both. Uh, yeah, just a little different track here. I was just thinking about defining it. And I started off with the note idea that I think that we human beings just have a tendency towards self-delusion. And so you have to want to battle it. You have to want to catch yourself in lies. And some lies are easier to face than others. And so I could kind of start off with that premise. Um, I also think that um, the ones that are right in front of you in your immediate life those delusions can be proved. So when my kids were in middle school, I remember them coming back really hot-headed about some, this is back when skateboarding was really big and and they used to call these kids who would get all the outfits and the brand new skateboards and then they'd brag about how they could do something and it was quite provable and it would be provable at the next meeting at the skate park that they indeed couldn't do it and those were called posers. And so those kids went back, you know, slumped back to their houses and they had to reevaluate, you know, they had to sort of adjust their delusion. And then the other kind of delusion I was thinking about is much harder, and that is things that are abstract. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people spend a lot of time by themselves today because we go online, there's lots of things to entertain us, and we can buy into a lot of things that just ain't so. Mm-hmm. And things that don't, may, may not affect our immediate life where you could go out and prove that you can't do that skateboarding trick things like climate change. You know, there's lots of examples. I'm sure we have our, our pet peeves that can, we can't believe the amount of self-delusion out there on a massive scale. So I was just thinking about, you know, the relative difficulty. The abstractions are harder than the the ones that are sort of immediately provable, or there's somebody in your life to sort of get in your face about it. And, and you know, some of us welcome that, but we all, I think, welcome it in doses that we can handle emotionally, you know, to be, to have things shoved in our face. But uh, overall, it's a healthy thing.
0: It sounds like what we're saying is that in order to catch yourself in self-delusion is you have to get outside influence, whether that's actively sought out by doing research into something that maybe is on the opposite side of what you personally believe, or as you said, Stuart, paying attention to um, the cues that you're getting from other people. So how might we do a better job of noticing that or actively seeking it out?
1: Let me offer this. In a leadership role, are you more susceptible, particularly a senior leadership role, are you more susceptible to self-delusion because the people around you are maybe less willing to give you that candid feedback that Matt talked about to keep you on the right track? I think if you surround
0: yourself with yes men or yes women, absolutely. I'm a firm believer that every leader should have someone around them that they trust enough to not be afraid to make them angry. And so I'm that person for a lot of my clients. Like they trust me to not be afraid of their anger. Sure. But if you get mad at people when they try to kind of put that mirror up and say, hey, maybe then you're not going to get that feedback. And you're right, Stuart, the higher you up the ladder, the more likely you are to not get that kind of feedback if you don't seek
1: it actively. That's just my little play on the fact that I think that, you know, when we talk about people in leadership positions, if we don't prepare them for the rigors of that role, that they could very easily get sucked into that self-delusion mm-hmm. because you it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Well, and that what circles
0: the- us back to the question, right? How do you how do you actively seek out your, your self-delusion and, and kind of find it so you can remove it?
2: I think, honestly, it's really being open to doing the work on yourself. And if you want to be a great leader, being, doing the work individually to be a great leader and understanding what are the things that you fall back on, what are the loops that you get in, what are the habits that you consistently go back and fall into, that might very well have brought you to a number of successful endeavors in the past, but might not necessarily work for you moving into the future. And so considering what are the things that have worked for you in the past, and then also how, what kind of leader do you want to be in the future and being open to the communication, being open to the feedback, and being very self-aware of just what has worked for me in the past and what potentially can I, how can I transform as a leader and as an individual for the future to benefit not only myself in an organization, but the organization as a whole.
0: Yeah, making that space for growth, right? That growth mindset, I think, is part of what we're saying is being willing to grow. And so many people get stuck in that fixed mindset where they feel like, well, this is who I am. I can't change it anyway,
2: which is a self-delusion in and of itself. <laughs> exactly. Or or even just, this has worked for me so much in the past, so why change it? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's definitely something that you know a lot of people fall back on, just Well, this has worked for me, so why would I try to change it? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's why failure is so important throughout your life and career, because if you have too much success early on, then it could be very easy to think that you know best and just supports that self-delusion.
0: We see that in the sports field, right, where the athletes who are really, really good all the way from peewee, whatever, up through high school, even college, and then they get in the pros and they wash out because they just can't make that last step because what's worked for them isn't working anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Matt, what are your thoughts on these last couple of topics we brought up?
3: Yeah, I think uh, it's hard to break out of it. You know, that's why there's been books written about, you know, corporate leaders often have sociopathic tendencies because they've had a whole string of successes being a dictator. And, um, you know, Steve Jobs comes to mind and and he broke all the rules. He designed first and engineered second. And we now have an iPhone because of it. And he just, you know, I'm doing it my way and I don't care what anybody thinks. And, you know, he, he was just, uh, he, you know, he's the example that comes to mind. So it's weird. Sometimes it actually works to be self-deluded like that.
0: Well, it works in so much as like that is an example of it works. But I do find that we hold up some of these leaders as great examples, and they're actually horrible human beings.
3: I wouldn't want to work there.
0: (laughs) No, me neither. So I think that that's an interesting point is that, you know, are you you looking for the capital success that somebody like Steve Jobs is an example of, or are you looking to be more of a human? And I, I, unfortunately, I think that that dichotomy that we've just created drives people to be less kind than maybe they could,
2: which may or may not be related to self-delusion. I also want to bring up the topic of just the difference between managers and leaders, and that a lot of managers are put into leadership positions. And then I think the self-delusion very much arises during that. And you have a bunch of direct reports, you're supervising large teams, and you think that you're in a leadership position. And acting as a leader, however, you really are, have just been a very good manager and potentially great mm-hmm. at getting tasks done. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're actually enrolling your followers, so to speak, um, the people that are working with you on the greater vision. And I think that you need to be self-aware and not be in this delusional state of lying to yourself to be a great leader. Um, And we find that I think that often a lot of managers that we find aren't great leaders because there's a lack of self-awareness and Mm the delusional state that they might be more often in.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great place for us to end it. That is our 10 minutes. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I appreciate it. And I look forward to the next one. Thank you. Thank you.